and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Julia. Uh, Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you also. Is the thing that you say (laughs) on the first episode you have recorded in a given year. Yeah, even Uh, if it's in April. Even if it's in April, it's been a it's it's been a hot minute since we've since we've chatted together. Um, Jonathan, why haven't we recorded anything since December? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, pandemic uh, uh-huh. and being overextended, I think, are uh-huh. the two the two right answers to that. Yeah, um, I, uh, dearest listeners, I want you to know that we have been mindful of neglecting you. And actually, John and I, Jonathan and I, now have a really nice weekly tradition where we typically record on Fridays and on Thursdays, one of us sends a Slack message and says, my fill in the blank is now sick or I am sick or because the children have been sick recently, they can't go to daycare or something like that. It's a really nice little Thursday check in we do just to find out who is sick and how hard things have been. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Wh- wh- whose school is closed? Who's sick? There's like, we could almost do a form letter. Right. With like just a few drop down, like five drop down options and some combination of those is like always. Yeah. Yeah. I realized uh, all of the kids and all of the grownups were healthy enough to go to their respective workplaces this week. Mm -hmm. Here we are in Mm mid-April. And the last time that happened was in February. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. You know what? (laughs) Rules is getting to go to work five days in a week. Um, (laughs) And and. I mean, and honestly, the the hardest thing um, about this is that, you know, when it's kids getting sick or they can't go to school because there was a COVID outbreak or like one of those things, um, it's just that all of a sudden and unexpectedly you have to change everything. It's not that there's like I feel like if I was just told you're only going to get three to four days of work a week, I could plan and schedule and like try to find a way to make that work. But it's just, you know, it's just spinning the roulette wheel of like what's going to happen today? Oh, I guess there's no lab meeting this week, or I guess I'm Zoom teaching this week or whatever. So the unpredictability. Yeah. Which leads us to what we wanted to talk about today. Um, So it seems uh, apropos to talk about kind of in a way being overextended. Um, And we've we've talked a bit before um, on Juice and Squeeze about how we manage our commitments and how we decide what to say no to. There is, in fact, an episode called a bucket of nose, a pile of nose, a pile, a pile of nose, um, spelled N O S, not N O S E, um, which in, in which we talk about like how we decide what to say no to in order to facilitate what we what we want to say yes to. Um, so what we wanted to talk about today is this this kind of chronic overextension that many of us feel, but not about how it affects us as faculty as much, um, but about if there are ways that we are perpetuating this culture of overextension with our trainees, like if there are ways that we can help the next generation of, of uh, academic scientists, human beings in general, um, be less pressured to feel overextended the way that, that many of us do. Mm-hmm. Can, we, can we break the culture? Can we, can we change things for the better? And maybe along the way, find some things that that we ourselves can do mm-hmm. as well. I mean, one of the one of the challenges I um I I really like that if I do say so myself, I like that episode we did on mm-hmm. a pile of nose, and I still uh I go you know I go back and listen to it sometimes, and all the stuff I said I would work on, like I don't know if I've gotten any better at it 
just between us. Um, so there's definitely like, <laughs> definitely a, a theme in my life of that being challenging. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, I mean, yes, I would love to, um, help other people, people in my lab and other students to kind of get a handle on this early on. But also it, it is one of those things where I feel like it's hard for me to do myself. And that makes it also hard to, uh, you know, model, model positive behavior for others. So anyway, sure. I'm looking forward to, to talking about this today. Yeah, I mean, and maybe by thinking about if there are ways that we are inflicting our neuroses on our, you know, intellectual children, mm-hmm. um, that might also help us figure out ways to, to do better ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I have felt like if if I had reliable childcare at this point where I am right now, I, I feel like I'm doing a reasonable number of things. Um, like I, I have felt overextended, but it's because I'm trying to do a five day amount of work in in three days most weeks um but but i feel like i feel like i have gotten to a point where i'm doing a reasonable number of things um and that has been in part because i have been saying no to a ton of stuff lately um i've even i've started a document where i write down all of the things that i have said no to Mm. uh and it rules i really like it i like it because um it's a nice reminder to look at that and be like, that stuff somebody wanted me to do, maybe because they thought I'd be good at it. So it's kind of nice for that. But I also love it because I, when I like, you know, kind of, it's in a spot where I can see it every once in a while. And when I go back and look at it, um, I am also like so relieved that I'm not doing those things right now. Um, and I think typically when we say no to things, we, the only times we think about it are when we have this like, FOMO of, oh boy, maybe I should have done that because I see that other person doing that and it looks so cool how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so keeping a list of the things that I have said no to in the past has just been a nice reminder to me of how good it is to say no to things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a list, but I do. I often send you a message, Julia, when I say yeah, no yeah, to yeah. something yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. because you can help keep me accountable and it's hard for me. And, and there've been a few things this year uh, but anyway, there were good opportunities that I normally would have said yes to. And I kind of paused right. and, um, yeah, pulled out my no card. Yeah, good. Uh, I, I also have taken to when I say no to something, uh, rather than telling colleagues about it, I tell my friends about it mm-hmm. because what my friends would like is for me to work less so that I can hang out more. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I get a lot of praise from them when I say no to things because, right. because, because, and, and honestly, um, you know, when I'm making decisions about the things that I'm going to do or not do these days, um, especially given chronic illness, I mean, they're not chronic illnesses, they're recurring normal childhood illnesses. Um, but especially like given that, uh, if I'm going to take on more stuff than I currently have right now, that is work that is going to have to happen like on evenings and over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And so the calculus that I'm really trying to use is here is an opportunity. Would I rather do that? Or like literally, would I rather have fun? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because it's going to be on nights and weekends are the times that I could be having fun instead. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there is something that I still want to do because it's like so important or I feel strongly enough about or I think it's going to be good enough for my students or my own professional development or whatever that I think it's that is more important to me than having fun. But honestly, usually not. Mm-hmm. So... Well, it's it's the, uh, I think, um, in economics, right, it's the opportunity cost. Like, what are you giving right. up to do this exactly. thing? And and it's really easy to ignore that. You're like, I will just keep adding things without, right. you know, yeah, without considering what you have to give up. 
Yeah, right. There's, okay, dear readers, we have mentioned before a book called 4,000 Weeks. To be clear, Jonathan has mentioned it before (laughs) and recommended it to me, and I forgot. And then read it independently because somebody else recommended it to me. But I mean, not because I trust, it was my husband, not because I trust his judgment more about, just he had read it and he was like, you should really read this. And you know, like the difference between someone being like, here is a book for you to read versus someone saying, oh, there's this thing abstract. Anyway, mm-hmm. anyway, Jonathan, I read this book on on your recommendation. Kind of. <laughs> uh, kind of. Um, and uh, uh, listeners, it's a great book. We both recommend it. Um, uh, it is, it's kind of pitched as like a time management and efficiency book, but I think it's pitched that way in order to like lure in the time management and efficiency crowd, when in fact it is really a book about how no amount of efficiency and organization will get you past the fact that you can't do all the things you want to do no matter what, mm-hmm. and you spend too much of your life working. So not not to not to make it all about us, but the other episode of ours I really like uh, is too much stuff in the closet. Oh yeah, yeah which yeah, right. which was right around the same time. It was kind of early on in um, when we were recording, and it, it, that's kind of part of the crux. Is like at some point, um, you, you just reorganizing stuff does not work. You actually have to get rid of stuff. Yes, yeah, and and the book is nice because so so four thousand weeks is uh, apparently the length of the average American lifespan. Um, and for some reason, having that number in terms of weeks really makes, I don't like 4,000 does not seem like very many. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's a nice kind of startle into like, yeah, what am I going to spend my weeks on? Because you're going to spend some of those weeks being sick and some of them, you know, on jury duty. And at that point, there's only a couple left. So choose Mm -hmm. wisely, choose Mm -hmm. wisely what you do. And that book has been also been useful for me in kind of thinking about, yeah, what what is worth saying yes to? Um, there's a neat one of the examples that he gives in this, and I think it might be from like Warren Buffett or something. It, like it sounds like business speaky kind of advice. And I don't love everything about it, and I think that's too rigid and all of that. But but let me say it anyway, which is um, you make a list of the 25 things that you care the most about doing in your life. And the way that I think many in in order. So number one is like the most important thing to you in your life. Um, And I think most of us think, you know, that we can like look at those top five things and be like, these are the ones that I really want to care about and make sure I can want to accomplish. And you think about items uh, uh, six through 25 and you say like. These are things that I hope to do kind of if I have time for. Um, and he suggests that that's, that's the wrong way of thinking about it, that, that you should think about items 6 through 25 uh, as the enemy. Mm-hmm. Like those are the things that are appealing enough that you might spend your time on them at the expense of not spending enough time on items 1 through 5. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really liked the idea that like we can say no. It's easy to say no to the stuff you don't want to do. But what's important is saying no to the stuff that you kind of want to do, but you don't really want to do because there's other stuff that you really want to do more. Mm-hmm. So I think the number of items in there is <laughs> overly rigid and what those things are change over time. And if one of those things is being a well-rounded human being, then sometimes you should just, you know, learn how to crochet, even though making things with your hands is not your top five. So like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's perfect, but but I really like thinking about it in terms of um, the things that are appealing enough to be dangerous, like appealing mm-hmm. enough to like 
that you will devote more attention to than you want to um, as as kind of being threats, right? Rather than like, if there's, if I'm done with everything and there's stuff left over, then I'll do that. But like, no, those are actually the things you have to be particularly wary of. Mm-hmm. To be like to be that. better at your first priorities, whether it's yeah. three or five or whatever. Right, yeah. right. I'm so bad at this, Julia. That so we actually we we, we talked about this on um, our episode about too much stuff in the closet, which is uh, which we'll put a link to in the the show notes. Um, and the show notes are at juiceandsqueeze.net slash forty six. Forty six. That's right. Episode forty six. Um, but that I I oh, I'm so bad at that, and I think that's one of the things I struggle with. And I, I know we're gonna uh, anyway. I don't want to go too down the rabbit hole here, but. If I knew how everything would turn out, then it would be easier to say no, right? But it, it, it's making it a easier, it's a cheat to make it an easier problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like if you have 10 things you want to work on, but I knew the five that were really going to turn out, well, I just focus on those five, right? right. But I don't know. And so you, nope. ha- it kind of forces you to, um, uh, to be a little bit more yeah. focused or just like put your eggs in fewer baskets, Right. Yep. And that's what I always want to do is like, but that number 10 might be the one that, um, that turns out to be super fun because that's happened before. Uh, right. but probably I've, that's happened at the expense of, of other stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the other things he talks about in 4,000 weeks is like, um, trying not try, trying to get over avoiding FOMO, the fear of missing out and just mm-hmm. accepting that you're going to miss out on most things in life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there is no there is no possible digital organizational mechanism that will enable you to experience most of the things a human can experience. You're just not going to experience most of those. And so I also I really like that kind of like <laughs> grim fatalism of like, <laughs> no, Julia, there when I think about like all the places I want to travel to, for instance, um, if I want to keep my job and see my family and things like that there are a very finite number of places in the world that I'm going to see in my life. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. like that, that actually like knowing that and coming to terms with the sad reality of that, I feel like is actually going to make me choose my travel more thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, mm-hmm. right. Because you can't just, you know, see everything. You can't, yeah. like, you just can't. Yeah. So, so you, yeah. So, so saying no to things and, and um, being judicious with what you decide to do we shouldn't just think about all the things we're missing out on. We should think about, you know, the ways that that enable us to actually do things we want. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So here we are talking about us, but what I, what I really wanted to, I mean, I've been thinking about a lot and I wanted to get your input on Jonathan and I just wanted to force myself to kind of think through some of this stuff is that all of the time, but especially during pandemic days, um, I talk to so many of my students, so many undergrads who are these, smart, thoughtful, curious, eager, delightful humans to be around. Um, and so many of them are feeling this, this sense of, of being overextended. Um, for Lord of the Rings fans, the quote that just keeps running through my mind is the scene where uh, Bilbo Baggins, who has had the ring for too long, I'm not going to go into everything for people who don't know Lord of the Rings, but he says, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. Mm-hmm. I just love this quote because this is like, this is how I feel when I'm overextended. There's just like not enough of me to go around and it's making this unpleasant scraping sound. <laughs> there's not, there's not uh-huh. enough butter. 
Yeah. I am the butter in this metaphor. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I feel like this is what a lot of my students are are experiencing too, um, that they are just stretched too thin. And so I want to think about like, wh- why are they stretched too thin? And what can we, what can we do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this can apply to anyone that you're in a position of power over, right? Like it could be undergrads, it could be grad students, it could be employees, it could be postdocs, lab managers, you know, whatever it is. But but thinking through like, are there things about the culture that we have some some agency over um, that is like perpetuating this? Mm-hmm. So when I when I talk to my undergrads, um, and I have, you know, and I have talked to specific students about this, and I have talked to groups of students about here's this phenomenon that I'm noticing. Do you think it's about? Um, so one option is that as faculty, we are giving our students too much work, right? Like they're taking X number of classes. If we want them to have a 40-hour work week uh, and they're taking four classes, each of us only gets 10 hours of their time. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's the case that we're actually assigning work that take up 20 hours of their time and we're just making it literally impossible for them to do their work in a reasonable amount of time. So, like, there is just too much work is one option. Mm-hmm. Another option is that the amount of work is reasonable, but we are not doing enough to help teach our students how to do work efficiently or how to structure their time well to make the best use of it. And so it's reasonable, but they haven't learned the, like, organizational skills and stuff to, like, actually do things effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, or a third possibility is that, like, the academic stuff is reasonable but students are overextending themselves with like clubs and extracurricular things and sports and that they are just like taking on too many different roles above and beyond you know their their work as students and when i have asked my students which of those they think it is they say probably all three a bit okay are there other are there other things that it can be those i mean those are like the three options that that i have thought of yeah, I know that probably, I mean, that probably seems to cover it. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, so when we think about, like, what we have agency over, like, well, I'm a faculty member, and I am the one who gets to decide how much work I assign for my classes, right? So so if I thought what the problem was is we assign too much reading or there's too many papers to write or something like that, like, that's a really easy thing that we can collectively fix. Mm-hmm. And I also talk with them a lot about, you know, how do you structure your time and what kind of planner do you use? And, you know, I, I like do some of that stuff too. Um, but it isn't, I don't know, like there, there's, there's, isn't like an easy, easy, quick fix for this. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when I, when I think about the third thing, the doing too many different things, um, the, 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 the third option that seems the most like what you and I are experiencing, right, Jonathan? Like, it's not like we're taking one class that has a lot of reading. It's that we want to do our research, plus also be on panels, plus also be editors of journals and mm-hmm. also have roles in professional societies and, you know, um, like do all of these things in addition to the core of our jobs, which is teaching classes, writing papers. You know, like like mm-hmm, do, mm-hmm. doing science. Yeah. And and when I see my students being like super overextended because in addition to their classes, you know, they're on the Frisbee team and doing lots of dance and 
mm-hmm. taking a cool cooking class on the side and all of those things. Um, that feels like that feels like the problem that I have, you know, mm-hmm. where I'm like, mm-hmm. well, if you just quit the Frisbee team, you would have more time for the other stuff. Um, right. The same way. If I quit doing a podcast, I'd have more time for other stuff. <laughs> no. But, but it's not, no, but I'm not. Right. No, yeah, yeah. no yeah, totally. No, no I, get, I get it, right? Yeah. But this, the juice is worth the squeeze for, for uh-huh. me. <laughs> Whereas being on the Frisbee team might not be for mm-hmm. me where mm-hmm. I am in my life right now. Mm-hmm. So, how do we get them? How do we get them to... I don't want to just keep saying quit the Frisbee team because... Frisbee is a really big deal at Carlton, and mm-hmm. I would get angry letters. So, uh-huh. quit the Quidditch team. <laughs> also, awesome. I would not quit the Quidditch team, right? But yeah, anyway, I, I, I get, I get what you're saying. I don't, I don't know if we, if we, if we have one. Yeah, but um, uh, and so, so one of the ways that I, you know, try to make them think about these things, um, is to talk about my own struggles with it um Mm -hmm. i tell my lab students when i say no to things you know and explain why um uh when i don't do stuff that i am supposed to do on time you know i explain like what's going on and say i think when my term on x organization runs out i'm not going to renew it because i want to have more time for for this kind of thing you know so Mm -hmm. i think like Mm -hmm. talking about it is useful Mm -hmm. um I think also like understanding why why they slash we do it is useful, right? Um, mm-hmm. Putting on my psychologist hat here, um, but but I think you know the students got to Carleton by being clever, eager overachievers, mm-hmm. right? And like mm-hmm. studying hard and doing all the stuff, and you know, and 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 if if a lot of our like if a lot of the reinforcers that we have gotten all of our lives are for being busy and doing lots of stuff, um, then it should be unsurprising that we're going to keep doing those things, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got into college because I was president of the whatever and took all my classes and played the oboe. Then, you know, when you get to college, you're going to kind of keep, keep that pattern up. Yeah. Um, they, so, they don't give out a lot of awards for like lack of participation or like right? they don't recognize yeah. you at your department meeting for like, here's the faculty member who just sat and thought the most. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> right. But also the fact that depth of participation is not quantifiable, I think is mm-hmm. a big part of the problem too. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so at Carleton, we're on trimesters. And so students typically take three classes at a time. Um, and like credits wise, they mostly have to take three sometimes. And also like depending on number of APs they bring in and stuff, they can go down to two classes a term, some terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often hear students be reluctant to go down to two classes because, you know, for one, we're paying so much for this. We should be taking as many things as we can. And given that, you know, you 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 only get to take a finite number of courses in your time at Carleton, and there's so many great ones, you don't want to miss out on taking something really cool. Um, but the fact is that if you take two classes instead of three, uh, when you do the readings, you can do them, like, slowly and thoroughly, and you can, like, look up every word you don't know in the reading. And if it cites something cool, you can go and read that one, too, right? Mm -hmm. And I would actually argue that, like, doing that is a very different kind of intellectual exercise that is, like, 
super rewarding and super educational um, in a way that like skimming the readings for three classes is not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we don't have any way of like putting on your transcript. I read it slowly and I looked up every word I didn't know. (laughs) Right. Right. And so Mm -hmm. and so if everything up to this point has been heavy, like credentialing and, you know, really looking for ways of making yourself look good on paper. Um, I think that really comes like at the expense of real intellectual exploration, right? Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. thinking hard about stuff. So my claim is we should give awards for thinking hard about stuff once we can figure out how to quantify that. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's like a measurement issue. I mean, we you know, is, we, we get yeah. into this with, with career stuff too, right? It's mm-hmm. like we all know that the number of um, papers someone's published is not a great indicator of you know, quality or, or whatever. And yet, mm-hmm. um, it's something we can count. And so people, you know, grant organizations and, and bosses and whoever like to count things. So, um, yeah, maybe we need to develop a better, yeah, a better measurement solution for thinking. <laughs> yeah. Or, Deep thought, or, you know, or help people, I mean, ourselves included to remember that the, the, the measurement is not the goal. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's the line? When the measurement becomes the target, it ceases to be good measurement, right? That like, mm-hmm. if, if uh, like the things that have worked well to get my sweet students to Carleton um, have worked well for a time, but, but that's not like the only tools that are available, right? Mm-hmm. And that thinking hard about stuff is an important part of education. And it's just one that is, yeah, it's hard to quantify. I mean, I think, you know, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but I I think a big one is, you know, this idea of, um, well, for example, people who are in an undergraduate program might be thinking about graduate school Mm -hmm. and thinking about, oh, that's going to be competitive. And so there is, I think there is often a sense of you have to tick a bunch of boxes to, um, you know, to be competitive with the other people who are ticking the boxes, like an arms race, right? Like Mm -hmm. if that other student is president of four things and also plays an instrument and also volunteered in a lab, then I should probably do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think, so I think how do you, you know, fighting that is, is pretty challenging. I think you can, and I th- you know, the argument would be that, that there are other benefits you get from slowing down and thinking deeply that actually will come through when you apply for things. Right. I mean, first of all, obviously it might still be the right thing to do, even if you're quote unquote less competitive, mm-hmm. but I think it's an easier kind of sell to people if you sort of say, well, actually, you probably will be as competitive or more competitive, but it's going to show up in different ways. It's going to show up because you're going to be a more thoughtful essay writer and you're going to be, you know, other opportunities are going to open up that wouldn't if you're just um, spread too thin. Yeah. And if you're only taking two classes, you're going to have more opportunities to like go to office hours and deeply impress your future letter writers with how hard you've been thinking about this stuff, too. Mm -hmm. Um. And also that, like, I mean, I I know that you're applying to grad school, you're thinking about how to be the most competitive and, and all of that, but also helping to communicate to our trainees that there is, like, really no point in life where you're ever like, now I am done, I have achieved everything that I want, and I don't have to think about what comes next, right? I think we all have this mentality of, like, once I get into grad school, then everything's going to be okay. Once I get my postdoc, then everything's going to be okay. Once I get mm-hmm. a faculty job, once I get tenure, whatever. But like, there's never a point where you're like, awesome, I'm done striving now. Right. right. And so realizing that you just need to like come to terms with the fact 
that there's always more you could do, but to maintain a quality of life, you also need to not always try to do one more thing. Right. It's kind of a it's like a double, it's not a quite a double-edged sword, a two-pronged attack. I don't know. Two parts mm-hmm. to it. Like, mm-hmm. on the one hand, it, you, you can't put off life for some future date because right. you know, life is now. And, and like, well, first of all, um, it's a good philosophy generally. And also, like, on, in most careers, stuff never gets easier. So, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, the clouds will never open and all of a sudden you can relax. It's just like, mm-hmm. this is kind of how it's going to be. So you have to make the um, the most of it. Mm-hmm. I forgot my second part of that it was, but it was just related. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, just accepting, accepting that's how, how things, oh, accepting that's how it's going to be. But then also, you know, the time to start developing strategies around this, uh, yeah. to, to have a, a happy life in the midst of lots of stuff pulling on your attention. Yep. Um, again, you don't magically, it's like, oh, I got tenure. Now I have strategies for dealing with too much stuff. Nope. If you didn't build them when you're younger, you're not going to get them mm-hmm. when you're older so you know we should all start today mm-hmm. uh to get a little mm-hmm. better at it because it's i don't think it's easy for for most people yeah yeah so i mean so like these are conversations that i have like one-on-one with my students um you know and when they are feeling particularly frazzled um and, and overextended um i try not to chastise them for doing too many things but uh, I will, you know, use that as an opportunity to be like, what what's next term going to look like? And what do you think are the, you know, the levers that you have to help yourself feel better about about this stuff next term? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's also a way of, you know, sometimes you get in a position where you're overextended and you didn't realize you would be. And, you know, uh, the, the class is much harder than you anticipated and things like that. Um, and, and so I think it's useful for thinking about, you know, how this affects what we what we choose to do next rather than beating yourself up for how it's how it's going right now. I mean, I think I, I like that. Um, one thing I've tried, I haven't done this in a while, but um, for, for a couple of years there, I was trying to at least once a year kind of check in with myself. Uh, and I had one of the questions I would ask myself was, um, you know, what would you like to be doing more of in your life? Mm-hmm. And what would you like to be doing less of? Mm-hmm. And, and it could be that some of those things, oh, I'd like to be doing less, um, uh, expense reports or something, but then, mm-hmm. I, you know, maybe there's nothing, maybe there's no way around that, but at least I've put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, or, but maybe there is, maybe I can say, well, do I have someone in my lab who can help with an expense report or, I mean, you know what I mean? Like not mm-hmm. to, not to, um, be trivial about this, but I think just feeling like I, I have to do and using that language, or I have to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of assumptions that go into what each of us have to do. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, even just changing it to like, I'm choosing to do X, Y, and Z, yep. um, or I have to do X, but I'm choosing to do Y and Z. Then it puts a little bit more of the, um, responsibility on us instead of just like, Ooh, life, life is hard. Life is making me do all this stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, especially for those of us who are lucky enough to mostly be in charge of what we use our time for, um, you know, and deciding what we say yes to and what we say no to. Um, yeah, I think being mindful that those are actually choices. Mm -hmm. And even if something feels like, Oh, it's too good an opportunity. I can't possibly say no. We, we, we still can in many, in many cases. Mm Um, another thing with, with trainees, uh, is, um, if somebody quits something that I am in charge of, I give them a lot of praise and reinforcement 
for choosing to do fewer things Mm -hmm. rather than trying to overextend themselves and and do too many things. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that's a really bummer, really a bummer. Like if it's a student that I really like and I don't want them to leave my lab or, you know, a student who's been a great contributor in class and is dropping the class, you know, it's often it's like, oh, man, this makes things worse for me. I don't want you to quit. Um, But still, even in those circumstances, being like, I hope this gives you the headspace to, you know, really enjoy the other things that you're doing and think about those more deeply. And, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think the way that we talk about the way that we talk to students who are leaving us for something and the way that we talk about them um, is also another way we can, you know, influence the culture. So if a student chooses to leave the lab, when I say in the next lab meeting, oh, so and so has decided to step back from the lab. And I'm really proud of them for knowing, you know choosing to allocate their time in such a way that they're not overextending themselves or mm-hmm, something like mm-hmm. that. Because then, you know, that that opens up the possibility that other people will want to leave your lab. No, that's 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 not what I want. <laughs> right. But unless it is, unless, right. unless that's what they need, right? Well, so, but you want them to consider it and, and, and yeah. know that that is a choice they, they can make. Yep. And there might be pros and cons as opposed yep. to like, ooh, that's off the table. Yeah, I'm going to get in so much trouble if I broach that. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing we can do. I don't know. All of these things feel so small compared to the really well, big. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't you think a big, uh, so uh, I'm going to make it about me for a minute, but, um, <laughs> but like for, don't you think the social support um, for, it, it really is being, you know, as we've talked about before, kind of countercultural in a way. Yeah. And so when you're trying to do that alone in your own head, um, that's really tough. And so, you know, Julia, I have you to help support me in this, even though you're not here. I know that um, I can rely on you to encourage me to say no to things and to use my time wisely. But, y- you know, that's something I think we can also build in our classes and our labs, like as you've been talking about. But I think, you know, kind of promoting that internal culture where that is valued, not just accepted, but sort of promoted mm-hmm. um, is something we can do through stuff we talk about in lab meetings or on podcasts and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Have you ever had, I know you, you asked um, some of your students about like what the reasons are for them feeling spread too thinly, but have you ever um, gotten anything back from that? Like, have you ever, have you had like lab meetings where you talk about this like explicitly? Um, yeah. Uh, yes. Not, not often. When I have students in the summer, we always set aside a couple of lab meeting times where we talk about, about about things like this mm-hmm. um and and i find we end up talking you know at the start of every lab meeting we just kind of run around the table and do check-ins with people about how they're feeling um and if there's a day where a bunch of people are saying they're feeling stretched thin or overextended or too busy um you know i'll i'll take a moment and be like all right what are the things like how do we deal with this? What are the approaches that you take to figure this stuff out? And how are you to do things differently? And so, so we do, we do talk about it some. Um, and I think my students, uh, and also when I tell them, I'm not going to, you know, I got asked to do this thing and it would have been so cool. And here's why I said no. Um, you know, sometimes they'll also say, oh, I also said no to a thing. And, you know, and mm-hmm. so we, we end up kind of talking about it that way. Um, so it, it happens, but not typically because I'm saying next Tuesday we're talking about overcommitment and how to avoid it. Please read this book ahead of time and also right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, usually it comes up kind of more more organically. Over the years I've gone through I, I haven't really been consistent about this, but I, I had this idea of having like you, you know, some list of topics, like five to ten topics that I would go through every year, every other year. Like mm-hmm. um 
How do you make a CV? How do you make a scientific poster? How do you, um, you know, comment your code for, you know, to be the most helpful? I don't know. Stuff that I want people in the lab to know and that sometimes we'll talk about, but then in my mind, I'm like, oh, we talked about that. But of course, we, I have new students every year. And so, (laughs) you know, you have to kind of go through it again, but it's, 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 you know, I've never been great about keeping track of it, but I, I could see this kind of, um, um, topic kind of going in that rotation, right? So it's not just about research stuff, but there's some mm-hmm. like time management, like mm-hmm. it's really like life philosophy, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. which I might not call it that in lab meeting, but like, <laughs> right. It's just, how yeah. do you, how do you manage this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, another way to, to be deliberate and make it clear that it's important. Um, Cause I think this is, this is also something that can really like fuel imposter syndrome things too. Right. Where like you look around and see, I see other people doing a lot of stuff. Why is it hard for me to do a lot of stuff? And if you don't talk about the fact that it's hard for everybody, then, you know. Mm -hmm. I also kind of worry, though, about trying to, like, self-care people out of structural problems. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, if the problem is actually that faculty have unrealistic expectations about how much work students can reasonably do in a given week, Mm -hmm. then, you know, saying to the students you need to be more mindful of your time or try to do things more efficiently or quit the Quidditch team or whatever. When the actual problem is that like faculty have unrealistic expectations and we need to have a talk with faculty about how to dial back, you know, the amount of work we assign or something like that. Right. 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 Um, I do often check in with my students about like how long did the reading take you or, uh, um, you know, for the, the assignments that are done online, I can like see how long it takes them to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use those to like try and calibrate am I assigning a reasonable amount of work in my classes? Because, you know, that's that's something that I do have a lot of ability to, to control. So mm-hmm. maybe also checking in to see if you're part of the problem in terms of how much work you assign. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, will, I will often ask students, like, compared to other classes at Carleton, is the amount of time that you spend studying for and doing the assignments for this class similar to more than, less than, you know, um, mm-hmm. to also like get a handle and, and that doesn't help if the problem is that everyone assigns too much work and they're like, right. it's about the same <laughs> in that it's too much. Um, but I, uh, you know, I, I am, I am delighted to get course evaluations that say things like I learned so much in this class and it didn't stress me out mm-hmm. or like I learned mm-hmm. so much of this class, but I felt like the workload was reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think that, you know, just assigning more work is a very easy way to make your class seem harder without actually making it any more like intellectually rigorous or meaningful. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if I can find a 10 page reading that nicely talks about the things that I think are important, I would much rather assign that than a 40 page reading that talks about that and just has a bunch of filler stuff in it. Right. Because I would rather have, you know, focused, um, uh, deliberate readings that are reasonable so they actually do them you know rather Mm -hmm. than big sprawling things that people just halfway skim Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right well you're you know i guess another way to frame that um is sort of trying to have your assignments also go along with what you want people to do which is maybe take a little bit more time be a little bit more in depth but giving them the time to do that right so if it's a relatively short short reading they could actually read the whole thing and think about it which Mm -hmm. is what you want people to do generally more Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Another time I find opportunities to talk with students about this is in like academic advising. So when they, you know, come in to say, I'm thinking about taking these classes next term, 
what do you think? Um, and one of the one of the topics that I've re- been really interested in in the last couple of years is that students uh, often really have this drive to not just major in something, but maybe major in two things or do a major in two minors or two majors and a minor. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes when I talk with students about it, there are really good and compelling reasons to want to do that. But I think a lot of the time people say, well, it just seems like having a major isn't enough. And I like I could do this minor, too. So I guess I'll do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um and often what that looks like to me is that means, you know, you have to take these six classes you haven't taken yet in order to get the minor. And oftentimes they're only actually interested in in three of them, but they recognize that they just take the other three classes and they get the minor and, you know, mm-hmm. they have a minor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to me like such an unfortunate situation because if they take the three classes that they're interested in, and then take three other classes that they're interested in, they still can say, you know, to future employers or whatever, look, I have demonstrated that I have an interest in this thing because I took three classes in it and here's why I thought they were interesting, whatever. But without the, like, having to take these other classes that they're not actually interested in, you know, as, as in order to have an additional, like, line on their on their CV. Mm-hmm, um, and from the, the, the folks that I have talked with about this, and actually, Jonathan, I would love to get your input on this. Like, if you are looking at potential PhD candidates, so you're like looking at the transcripts of, you know, all these great undergrads, um, is somebody who, let's say you've got two candidates, they both majored in psychology, one of them also minored in statistics, and the other one didn't minor in anything, but took five classes in statistics. Mm Mm-hmm. Does the fact that they have minored in it rather than that they have taken classes in it, like, does that do anything for you? No. I mean, maybe some people it does, but um, but not for me. So everybody that I have talked to that is in charge, that, like, actually admits grad students, like, no, like, you look at the research experience, you look at the classes that they've taken. But if somebody says in a cover letter, I'm also really interested in stats and I've taken five classes in stats, that's not any different than I minored mm-hmm. in stats, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. who even knows what a minor means at different schools? And and so I feel like that seems like a really clear case of tallying up, of, of, of like counting the things that we can count and having that be the goal rather than having the kind of educational experience you want to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I talk with advisees a lot about this, too, of, you know, who are you doing this for? And if you're doing the minor because you think it's going to get you into a graduate program, don't do it for that reason because mm-hmm. it probably won't and you'll end up having a less fulfilling educational experience than if you just took the things you know that you mm-hmm. want to do i mean okay i'm coming down too hard on minors <laughs> what is nice about a minor is that it might be there are three classes that you think sound particularly appealing and another three that you don't think are appealing but are important in order to have a nuanced understanding of the discipline and the faculty have thought you know, have been mindful about structuring that experience. And so maybe you would get something out of it, but I don't know. I, well, uh, but you're not saying don't minor. You're saying to think about your, your goals and your reasons for mm-hmm, doing it. And, mm-hmm. and also what you're giving yeah. up by, yeah. by saying yes to that. Right. So like what you're giving up, yeah, mm-hmm. which is different. I, I think, you know, one of the, Oh, I don't know. I, okay. I'm not an expert on like behavior modification and, or, you know, or a, a, a friendlier term for it, but I feel like, 
a useful place to start is sort of thinking about what are, you know, yeah, start with like one, what is your goal, right? Instead of starting with, here's all the stuff I have to do, uh, uh, because I'm assuming that I'm, I'm going to have a certain goal, but like think about, um, and not just one goal, multiple goals. Like I'd like to mm-hmm. go to graduate school, but I'd also like to, you know, try to take care of my health. And I'd also like to like have a social life. Mm-hmm. Like those are three different goals and, and different choices support them support those differently. Right. And Mm -hmm. so then if you kind of start with like, what do I want my life to look like? And then you have to kind of make it fit, um, a little bit as opposed to saying yes to everything and hoping for the best. Right. Right. Yeah. Julia, sometimes on this podcast, we have little challenges for each other, Mm -hmm. uh, or for our listeners. And then sometimes Mm -hmm. you forget to check in about it later, which (laughs) which is okay. But anyway, um, are there any, any challenges that you think we could uh, propose for each other or for other people kind of related to this? Well, I would love to hear our listeners' suggestions about things that we can do to avoid perpetuating a culture of overextending of, of overextension in our trainees. So mm-hmm. if there are things, as you've been listening to this, you've been like, oh, one thing I did do or one thing my PI did or whatever, I would love to hear those. So your challenge is to email us and 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 tell us what you think about this. And if you want, leave your mailing address and I will send you a sticker. And I see that I am behind on sending stickers. I just looked at our email. I'm gonna I'm gonna send out some stickers. Awesome. Um my challenge for you, Jonathan. I I, I thought I was gonna get off on that one. I was no, like, okay, I don't have to do anything. St- Great. Okay. Say no to something that you yeah. want to say yes to. <laughs> uh it's something, you know, that's seventh on the list. Um no, uh, what's my challenge to you? I want to say to have a beer with me, but you're too far away for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, okay, we'll have to, we'll have to plan a, yeah, you, you, I'll, I'll owe you one. How about that? Here we go. Okay. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for listening. Nice to be back with you. And uh, hopefully we, our next hiatus won't be quite so long. <laughs> <laughs> At least by the end of the year, I think we'll yes. aim for that. All right. Talk to you next time. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.